The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, if you are in the market for a new car, I have a deal for you. This is a picture of my 2007 Impala. Isn't it beautiful? It's beautiful. You can go next slide. This Impala includes things like a beautiful interior. Next slide. It also has a spacious trunk to put all your stuff or hide a body, whatever you want to do with it. And when you go to the next slide, look under the hood. It has a great engine that probably has 100,000 miles left on it. It only has 149,000 miles on it. And so it is a fantastic car. Now, you may look at this and you may wonder, how much would I pay for such a car? And maybe you're thinking, I would pay $30,000. And if that's the case, please come talk to me after the service. You would not pay $30,000. You would not pay $8,000. You would not even pay $2,000. This car could be yours for $1,800. But wait, there's more. This car not only has a wonderful engine, you can go to the next slide, it also has rust in the hood. And this is not just surface rust, this rust goes all the way through. Some people might see this as a negative, I just call this character. And it has a lot of character. This past winter, I went and drove over a rock, next slide. And there is rust, you can't see it all, but there is rust here in the fender and rust here in the fender in both places. Go to the next slide. And if that doesn't make you super excited, there is a missing clip underneath uh, that holds the floorboard on. Go ahead, next slide. And this is the inspection results. And if you look, you'll see here's required R, suggested S, and then notes. So the first R, rear brakes are down to zero material. I think that's not a good thing. Front brakes are very low on material. Both outer tie rod ends have movement. Aren't they supposed to move? I don't know. Um, these are all required. Uh, front tires are unevenly wearing down to zero on the inside edge. Again, I think probably not a positive, but it's character. A suggestion, the right front CV axle boot torn. And then the exhaust is rusty. Now, it actually sounds like a monster truck. I mean, how exciting is that? And then there are the things that they didn't catch, right? Like it needs a transmission flush and the windshield wiper fluid shooter upper thingy doesn't work. And, uh, and it's, it has white interior. We have four kids and myself, and so it needs a cleaning exorcism. But besides that, it is a great car for anyone that is looking. You know, we are surrounded by a world that is rusting away. We give it different names like decay, corrosion, deterioration, mold, whatever it is, but our world is falling apart. Our houses decay and fall apart. I have a, a completely different slideshow for that. Bridges and roads deteriorate. Electronics wear out. Scientists in the Bible agree that even the sun has a shelf life, that it is burning out. And if we get introspective, we even understand that our bodies are fading away. The older we get, the more we see doctors and the more medication we take. 
And ultimately, as we lie in the grave, our bodies will ultimately deteriorate. Sadly, this atmosphere of decay is not just limited to the physical world. It is also moral and spiritual and relational. All you have to do to figure this out is to turn on the evening news, but you can see businesses crumbling under corruption, friendships fraying under misunderstandings, churches imploding under pride, and families falling apart under great brokenness. The world is falling apart whether you like it or not. But today, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, a study of the kingdom of God, we are going to look at a passage that may be very familiar to you, but is extremely radical and weighty. And if it is true, then it would change every second of our life into a holy endeavor of pushing back the deterioration of the world and the darkness that it is in. Today, Jesus is calling us to be salt and light in a dark and crumbling world. And so if you would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 16 today. It is page 809 in the Red Bible. And kids, if you have that blue Bible that you just received, it is in page 1024 of the Children's Bible. If you've been gone for a few weeks, we are walking this summer through the Sermon on the Mount. It is the most famous sermon in the history of mankind. Uh, It is delivered by Jesus early in his ministry as he's gathering followers. And Jesus is coming, and the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus telling them about a counterculture, a new kingdom called the kingdom of God. And this week, Jesus teaches us how this counterculture called the kingdom of God, the people of God, the church, how this counterculture is to engage a decaying and dark world for the sake of the world and for the glory of God. And so let's read together uh, Matthew chapter 5. Let's actually read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll skip down to today's passage in verse 13. So Matthew 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds... Jesus went up on the mountain, and where he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Let's skip down to verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." If you have been around church for any amount of time, you have probably heard a teaching on this passage. And the main thrust, the main application of it has probably been 
Go and share the gospel. Go and do evangelism. Go tell people the good news of Jesus Christ and the salvation that is found in him. And that is certainly an application of this, but it is simply just a slice of what Jesus is calling us to do. You see, Jesus is calling his followers, both individually and collectively as the church, to be a counterculture for the sake of the culture, to push back the effects of the fall wherever it is found, to reverse the decay and to bring light into darkness. And he tells us how to do this by giving us three directives this morning. He tells us to know thyself, to share thyself, and to humble thyself. And so let's look at those three things as we think about how God is calling us to be part of his glorious plan of redeeming the entire world. First, know thyself. In this passage, Jesus utilizes two common elements, salt and light. And he does this in order to communicate to his followers how they are to engage the world that they live in. Now, a common misapplication of this text is that Jesus is simply telling them, go be salt and go be light. Like, you should do this. Go, go, go do this. You should be light. You should be salt. But that is a misreading of the passage. If you notice here, Jesus does not say, be salt. He does not say, be light. What does Jesus say? That's right. Jesus says, you are Salt, you are light. This is your identity. Now go live accordingly. Now here's the question. How do we become salt? How do we become light? Well, the gospel of John is so helpful for us. First, he shows us who the light is. In John 1, 5, he writes, the light, talking about Jesus, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he says, John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light, talking about Jesus, that all might believe through him. John the Baptist was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, Jesus. And then in John 9, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. What does it mean that Jesus is light? Well, it means that Jesus is truth. Jesus is purity. Jesus is life. Jesus is God himself. But then John presses this reality of Jesus being truth down into our souls. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in John 12, Jesus says, while you have the light, talking about his ministry, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. You see, Jesus came into the world as the light of the world. He came into a spiritually dark world. And he came to give truth and wisdom and knowledge and purity and beauty. But the world, the darkness, did not like the light. And so his light was snuffed out upon the cross to take on our darkness that we now may become children of light. And so Jesus, the light, has now lit his people he has infected his people with his light. Our hearts have become residents 
for the light of God. And it does not matter if you feel like it. It doesn't even matter if you know it. This is your identity if you trust in Christ as your Savior. You are light and you are salt. Know thyself. Now, what is salt and what is light? If we're trying to understand who we are, if this is our identity, first, you are salt. In our world, salt, as then Paula showed us, is a corrosive element. But in Jesus' day, salt's primary purpose was as a preservative. Without refrigerators and without freezers, meat would go bad. And so what they would do is they would take salt and they would rub it into the meat or they would put it in a brine, water and salt mixed together to keep it from rotting and going bad. And this was really a common practice even all the way up to uh, the 20th century in rural America. Now, by Jesus utilizing utilizing this illustration of salt, he is telling us what we said earlier, that the world is wasting away, that it is rotting away, that it is deteriorating. You know, all around us, wherever we go, we see this happening. We see relationships falling apart. We see morality deteriorating. We see physical and spiritual brokenness. And as the salt of the earth, We're called to be preservative, sprinkled into a decaying culture. Wherever we are to preserve righteousness and relationships, we are to preserve God's truth, God's kingdom, and God's gospel. And so Jesus says you are salt, but he also says you are light. You know, one of the things that light does is it exposes reality. It shows what is true. You know, if all the lights were dark in this theater, if, if, we were, if it was completely pitch black, and I handed you something, I said, here, eat this. And you felt, and you felt that it was a banana, you, a banana, you still may not be sure because you don't know if it's a good banana or a bad banana. But if I flip on the lights, it exposes the condition of that banana. See, we as lights expose reality in the midst of darkness. Let me give you an example. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but maybe you are around some friends or some coworkers and they know that you love Jesus and that you're kind of this Jesus freak person. And so they start talking and then they start using foul language and maybe say something off color. And then they pause and they turn to you and they say, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Has that ever happened? It's because you're salt, you're light. And and when you bring light into a room, it exposes the darkness of darkness. It exposes the sinfulness of sin. You know, C.S. Lewis once famously wrote, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. You see, it is with the truth of the gospel that we go forth with our lives and with our words and exposes falsehood as being empty and sinful. The other thing light does is it pushes back darkness. If you ever go out in the woods and you shine a light, wherever you shine the light, it pushes back the darkness. And we are called to show up into places and to push back the darkness of decay and sin and brokenness and loneliness. You know, we so often reduce Christianity to this this list of agreements. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he is the light of the world. And those things are so true, but Christianity is so much greater than that. It's not just information. It is transformation. 
It is not only a change in your theology, it is a change of your very identity. Once you were decaying, once you were darkness, but now you've been made salt and light. And so what this means for us is that wherever we go, we are called to be a redemptive presence. If you could just remember those two words from today's sermon, that would probably be sufficient. Wherever you go, you're called to be a redemptive presence. You're called to be a redemptive presence at your workplace, restoring integrity where it has been trivialized. You're called to be a redemptive presence in your neighborhood, restoring intimacy where it has been minimized. You're called to be a redemptive presence in your family, bringing peace where maybe it has been ostracized. You know, I love Christmas Eve candlelight service where we start with just one light in a really dark room and then we start lighting other lights and as the lights go around, you can start seeing people's faces and the room starts to light up. You know, Jesus' command of we are salt and light or this reality that we're salt and light is not just given to an individual, it is given to the church. And so as we go back to our neighborhoods, as we go back into our communities, as we go back into our workplaces, we go out to light up Green Bay with the love of Jesus Christ. Know yourself. You are salt and light. Secondly, share thyself. As we read through this passage, it seems certain that Jesus had the future church in mind. You see, with the church, there have always been two common mistakes in their relationship to the world around them. One Mistake is acclamation, and the other mistake is separation. In acclamation, the church seeks to become just like the culture. It is good to be culturally accessible, but we must not be identical to the culture because we have values that are listed out not by people, but by God himself. The second mistake is separation, which is the church recedes back and gets into their holy huddles, kind of like Monks. And here Jesus is warning us against both of those errors. And he uses it by, he illustrates it by using salt and light. And so first he warns us against acclamation, against becoming like the rest of the world. Look at verse 13 with me. He encourages us to stay distinct. Verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, its distinct flavor, How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The people in Jesus' day would often gather salt simply by taking water out of the Dead Sea and letting the water evaporate. And at times that salt would be contaminated and when it would be contaminated, it would lose its saltiness. And so the implications of Jesus' teaching here are fairly obvious. That if you let the contamination of the world dictate your values and infiltrate your life, then you lose your distinctiveness, you lose your saltiness. In other words, you will either be salting the world or the world will be rotting you. This is a warning against nominal faith, against a faith, a church, a people that look just like the world. You know, so often we divorce passages and come to the wrong conclusions. Last week, Jesus told us how we are to live salty. And it isn't necessarily by sharing the gospel with everybody we meet, although that is very important. 
But Jesus tells us that to live distinctive is to live out the Beatitudes. And so I'm guessing you could see how distinct this would be if you live these out amongst your friends, amongst your coworkers. If you lived out the beatitude of being poor in spirit, if you were humbled by your sin, you were repentant to other people, I'm guessing that would be fairly distinct. It would be distinct to, to sit with someone who is grieving and mourn with them and love them and care for them. It would be distinct to be meek and using your authority, not for your own self-promotion, but to serve others. It would be distinct to hunger and thirst for righteousness instead of hungering and thirsting for a bigger boat and bigger toys and whatever it might be. It is distinct to have a pure heart ruled by the love of God instead of contaminated by your own self-interests. It is distinct to respond to conflict with peacemaking instead of fighting or flighting. And it is absolutely distinct to rejoice when you are persecuted for Christ's sake. And so here we are faced with this question, are, are we distinct? Are we different? Are we maybe even a little bit weird to people because of our values? Or do we look just like our neighbors? Do we blend right into the culture? We are to be distinct from the world for the sake of the world, to participate in God's glorious plan of redeeming the world. Not only are we to stay distinct, we are also to stay visible. Verse 13 does warn us against acclamation, but verses 14 through 16 warns us against separation and isolation. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the, in, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may, so they may see your good works. What Jesus is saying here is extremely clear. First, he states it in the negative. He says, do not hide your light. Don't put it in the valley. Don't put it under a basket. But then in the positive, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see. You know, in order for light to have its intended effect, you have to take it into the darkness. You cannot hide it under a bowl or put it in the valley. You have to take it into the darkness. And for salt to have its effect, it has to leave the salt shaker. This means we must be willing to leave the safe confines of our cluster of friends. This means we must rub ourselves into the lives of other people just as they rub salt into the meat of that day. We must, we must become friends with people who have different world values and different world views. This means we must invite people into the salt shaker of our house and we must leave the salt shaker of our house and go into their house. You know, I love the story of Matthew. Jesus comes to him. He's a tax collector and Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew leaves everything and follows Jesus. And the first thing Matthew does is he throws a party and he invites all his tax collector's buddies to come and meet Jesus. You know, I think this might be such a good litmus test of us, of how close we are, how close our friendships are with those with different worldviews. If you threw a party, maybe a birthday party or a New Year's Eve party, who would be there? Would it just be people from the church? Would it be a whole bunch of lights coming together? 
Or would it be those in darkness coming into the light to see the beauty of God? You know, there is a very helpful application of this main point to our church. The application of staying distinct by staying salty and staying visible by not hiding our light. You know, we have a lot of young families here at Jacob's Well. And some of your children go to the public school. Some of your children go to a private Christian school. Some of your kids are even homeschooled. And I praise God that there is that diversity in our church. And I pray that we grow. But I think Jesus' words here are a warning to all of us. For example, if you send your kids to the public school, you have no problem with the exhortation to stay visible. You are visible. You are out there. But the exhortation to stay distinctively salty is something that you probably have to be more intentional about. You have to make sure that your children are around the means of grace and fellowship, around other people who can encourage them to seek first the kingdom of God. But on the other hand, if you're a kid or if you are in a Christian school or homeschooled, your struggle probably is not staying distinct. Your struggle is probably staying visible. And what Jesus is telling us here is that we must be in the culture, in the community. We must take light into the darkness, take salt into a decaying world. For us personally, this is how this applies. We homeschool our kids at this point, which means it's pajama day all day. Um, it is true. And because of this, we make sure that our kids are around other kids that don't know Jesus, that they're around other families that don't know Jesus. And so we do not sign our kids up for the Christian Boy Scouts, the Christian sports leagues. We don't sign our kids up for Christian knitting and Christian whatevering. We want our kids in the community, in the culture, because our kids and our family is salt and it is light. And we want to bring it into the darkness. And so how do we reverse the decay of a world? Know thyself. If you are in Christ, you are salt, you are light. And then share thyself. Stay distinctively salty, but stay visible and engaged in the darkness in order to bring light. And finally, humble thyself. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In the Greek, there are two words that are used that are translated good. One is agathos, and it means excellent or distinguished or upright or honorable. But the other is used here when talking about our good works, and the other is kalos, and it means beautiful, precious, admirable. And so Jesus is saying to us here, as you live before people, distinct because you're living according to the beatitudes of the kingdom of God, may your good works before a dying and decaying and darkened world be so beautiful and so precious and so admirable, they, they give glory to God, their Father. You see, salt and light have attractive qualities. If you're out in the darkness, if you're out in the wilderness and you are lost and you're looking for a place to go and you see light on a hill, you will be attracted to the light. I, this, this is something new to me growing up in inner city, well, not inner, but in St. Louis in the suburbs. I move up to Wisconsin. I hear this thing called salt licks. I've never heard of salt licks before, right? Salt licks, you put salt out 
right? And deer come and lick it. Is that true? I guess salt lick. What's that? That's my car. My car's a salt lick, yeah. But it's a salt lake, right? And so it has these attractive properties. And what they're saying is that may your life be so beautiful before other people that it attracts others to the beauty of God. You know, this was a massive part of my own story. I grew up in the church and I hated church. I hated religion. I hated religious clubs. I hated religious everything. But then there was this group of people. It was called Young Life Club. And I went once because there was a pretty girl. But when I showed up, just being honest, God uses pretty girls. Amen. (laughs) But I showed up and I just saw this complete counterculture. They were having fun and they weren't mocking one another. I mean, this was so different than what I was used to. They weren't talking down to one another. They weren't weren't using foul language. They weren't doing things that were wrong. They They were having, and they had a joy that I wanted. It was a counterculture that attracted me to my heavenly father. You see, the beauty of our good works is to show the beauty of God, not for our purpose, not that they would be attracted to us, but in humility would attract them to our heavenly father. Let me end with this. Earlier, I showed you my beautiful car for sale. And after you got all of the information, you probably wondered, who on earth would buy this car? The answer, a guy named Steve from Econo Falls. You see, Steve came over yesterday morning and he looked under the car and he checked out everything. He actually got on the hood and started bouncing it to see how the struts were doing. And one was gone. I didn't even know that. He, he saw all the pictures that I showed you. I even showed him the list of what was wrong. I told him everything that was wrong with the car that I knew of. And Steve still bought the car. You see, Steve is mechanically inclined. And so Steve had a plan to restore the car one piece at a time. He's going to go to the salvage yard and buy a hood and buy a fender and put those on. And then purchase and replace the new axle boot. Put on tires and new brakes and maybe even fix the windshield wiper squirty thingy. But Steve was going to restore the car to the way that it is supposed to be. In Jesus' words, Steve was going to be salt and light to this car. Because Steve was going to help restore this car to its intended glory. Church, you may not be salt and light to cars. But you are salt and light to a decaying and dark world. And wherever you go, you are called to have a redemptive presence to bring forth the kingdom of God, the glory and the joy and the beauty of the kingdom of God. No matter if it's at work or at home or in your neighborhood or in your recreation, wherever you go, God is calling you to have a redemptive presence. And we can do this because we don't have to be salt and light. We are salt and light. And we must keep our salt salty through loving God and submitting to God and engaging the darkness of our world and humbling ourselves to point others, not to ourselves, but to God, our heavenly father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we don't have to go be people we are not. 
We are salt. We are light, not by anything that we have done, but because of what Christ has done upon the cross and through his resurrection and his sending of his Holy Spirit into our lives. Lord, pray that as we we leave this building and as other believers throughout the churches of Green Bay leave their building and go into their community, God, that they would be salt and light with brilliant fashion, that they would show forth the beauty of the kingdom of God and beauty of the God that we love and worship and serve, that others may know their heavenly Father and give him glory. Lord, as we come to your table, we recognize that many times, We are not as salty as we want to be, or we are not as bright as we want to be. And so, God, we come hungry, needing you to fill us, to make us distinct, to make us shine. And so, God, we pray through your supper that you would strengthen us and change us to be salt and light, to be a redemptive presence wherever you take us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.